If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34, uh, looking at verses 29 to 35. Exodus chapter 34, looking at verses 29 uh, to 35. Let's hear these words from our God. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain... Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were terrified. They were afraid to come near. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us as we get started. God, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed uh, in the various Christian communities, uh, churches, uh, that I have been blessed to be a part of is the consistent reminder, the, the consistent pointing to the fact that we are all sinners. All of us, whether we would admit it or not, are well aware of the fact that something is wrong with us. Uh, we know in the, the deepest recesses of our hearts that we are, in fact, a mess. We use words like, nobody is perfect, we all have our issues, we're all broken, and if you're acquainted with the, the theology of this church, you'll be, pretty quickly, you'll be able to give lip service to the fact that we're all sinners. I wholeheartedly agree with all of that, but I think there is often... Uh, this imbalance in the way in which we speak of the Christian life. Uh, we uh, speak at times as if we are afraid to admit and acknowledge that God is in the process of transforming us. We often never think about the fact that God is in the process of, of beautifying us. Uh, in other words, I think we speak of the, the Christian life uh, as if the resurrection of Jesus and the current ministry of the Holy Spirit is not true. Now, while it is true that we are indeed sinners, it is also true that God is transforming us and freeing us from sin. The Bible gives us this beautiful invitation to celebrate and rejoice and make much of the fact uh, that we are slowly but surely experiencing the freedom of sin. I think this imbalance in the way we talk about the Christian life is uh, found in the, the fact that we often doubt if real and lasting change can actually happen in us and particularly in other people. I've always been this way. 
This is just the way that I am. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. She's always been like that. He'll never change. Beloved, the only problem with that and that language is that it is completely foreign to Scripture. If you are a believer, if you are united to Jesus by faith, if you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you are able to change, and by God's grace, you are changing. The question that needs to be asked and answered is, how do we change? How do we grow as Christians? How do we become more and more like Jesus? Our text today, Exodus 34, 29 to 35, teaches us, one of the most crucial aspects of Christian discipleship and is this, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. Whatever you spend your time looking at, meditating on, thinking about, and reflecting on is what you'll eventually become. How do we change? We change by beholding. What are you beholding this morning? What is captivating your heart and mind? What is the apple of your eye? Our text today gives us an invitation to behold. It gives us an invitation to behold something so majestic, so beautiful, so uh, glorious that it has the ability to change us. Exodus 34, 29 to 35 tells us to lay our eyes on our glorious mediator and in beholding him, we will be transformed into his image. How do we change? How does God bring lasting transformation? We are transformed from one degree of glory to the next by beholding our mediator. And I want us to look at our text in three points this morning. I want us to see the fading glory of Moses. Then I want us to see the unfading glory of Jesus. And then lastly, we'll look at the increasing glory of the church. So I want us to look at Moses, then look at Jesus, and then look at how that applies to us. So first, the fading glory of Moses. Uh, The scene that we are in feels uh, like a sequel to a movie that we've already watched. Generally, sequels are never better than the first movie, but in this case, the, the sequel is far better than the original film. Moses is coming down the mountain after spending uh, 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. He has in his hands uh, two tablets that have the Ten Commandments etched on each of them. The last time he came down the mountain, the, the people were worshiping a golden calf and participating in unspeakable acts of depravity. And this ultimately led for the people to receive the judgment of God. But this time and in this moment, things are different. The people are now waiting for Moses. They are eagerly waiting to hear what God has spoken and if he will indeed dwell with his people again. As Moses comes down the mountain, uh, they notice something strange. They notice something terrifying. They notice the fact that Moses' face is shining. It's radiating glory. The second half of verse 29 tells us that the shining face of, of Moses is the result of him talking with God. What is going on here? There's a lot we don't know about this text. We don't know how Moses' face started shining. We don't know how bright it is. Uh, We don't know what it was like. We don't even know how it happened. But we do know that it is the result of Moses being with his God. You can tell where Moses had been. Everyone who laid eyes on Moses knew 
that, that Moses stood in the very presence of God. The question that this, this text brings is, what is the significance of the shining face of Moses? Uh, the shining face of Moses is meant to teach us something about God and also something about Moses. First, it teaches us uh, the fact that God is glorious. Why was Moses' face shining? Because he was with God. What does this tell us about God? It tells us that he is glorious. Earlier in the, the text, Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory, and the Lord responds by proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the God that Moses is beholding. The light of God's gracious compassion, his faithful love, his, his justice, and his mercy were shining in the face of Moses. Notice how the people respond in verse 30. Verse 30 says this, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. The people were terrified at seeing the face of Moses because glory was in front of their eyes. What does this tell us about the glory of God? It tells us that God is awesome and supremely glorious. It tells us that he is holy, righteous, and, and just. He is all-knowing and all-seeing. What the people are, are seeing on the face of Moses was only a fragment of God's true glory. Beloved, a small fraction of glory struck fear in the heart of a rebellious people. To be a sinner and to behold even the, the smallest picture of glory is a terrifying thing. Isaiah chapter 6 teaches us that the prophet Isaiah sees the Lord high and, and lifted up. And Isaiah is filled with terror because he is a man of unclean lips. Romans cha Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 shows us that John saw the Son of Man, a glimpse of the Son of Man, and he falls down, falls down as though he is dead because of the glory that was in front of him. It's safe to say that the, the glory that is shining from the face of Moses brought with it condemnation. The people respond in the, the same way they did in, in Exodus uh, chapter 19 and 20 uh, when God spoke from Mount Sinai. One commentator writes some helpful words and he says this, and I quote, Because the very glory that shone upon his face searched their hearts and consciences, being what they were, sinners and unable of themselves to meet even the smallest requirements of the covenant which had now been inaugurated, the glory which they thus beheld upon the face of Moses was the expression to them of the holiness of God. They were therefore afraid because they knew in their inmost souls that they could not stand before him whose presence Moses had come. The shining face of Moses shows us the glory of God, but it also shows us the grace of God. The glow was a visible sign that God's presence had returned with the people. Remember in the, the previous section, uh, God has, has told the, the, the people that because of your sin, I cannot go with you. If I go with you, I will consume you. You are too stiff-necked and too stubborn. 
They respond by saying that if you don't go with us, it doesn't matter. You need to, you must go with us. And Moses is on this mountain interceding. Please be with us. But the beautiful thing of this text teaches us that God has answered their prayers, that God has been gracious and that God's presence has not left them. It may be obscured for the Israelites, but they know that God was with Moses. Moses is showing in his face just how gracious God is. The the shining face of Moses is meant to show us something of the glory and grace of God. But the shining face of Moses is also meant to teach us something about Moses. In this text, Moses is exalted as God's mediator. If you were to look at this text in the original language, you'll notice that there is a a play on words. Uh, This word shown that is repeated is a Hebrew word for horn. Uh, If you were to look at medieval pictures of Moses, you would see that Moses has horns coming out of his head. Uh, but the, 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 the painters and the, the artists were trying to make sense of this moment and capture uh, what is happening here. Uh, but but the, the, this, this play on, on words is, is God pointing back to the fact of the golden calf. God wants to, to bring to our attention to the fact that the Israelites created their own mediator in the creation of the golden calf. But God is saying that I have exalted Moses as my mediator. God is telling the people that you have built your own mediator and it came from trinkets and and toys. It could not talk. It could not lead you. It could not sustain you. It could not save you. It could not atone for your sins. And it only brought judgment. The very thing that you wanted to to bring, the, 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 the very thing that the calf was meant to do to bring God's presence almost lost you God's presence. But God in his mercy exalts Moses as the mediator And he, in a sense, is telling them, this is my mediator. You need him. Listen to him. So we see Moses being exalted as the the mediator in the eyes of the people. Moses had already been representing the people before God for a while. But now Moses is highly exalted as God's chosen mediator. But in this text, Moses is not just a mediator. Moses is also a prophet. Notice the language of verse 32. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai, verses 35 to 34. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses. The skin of Moses' face was was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. Moses would unveil his face For all the people to see whenever he was speaking on behalf of God. Moses was being set apart as God's chosen messenger. He is God's chosen prophet. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet was charged with bringing God's truth to the people. So so Moses comes down the mountain and and then begins to speak the words of God to the people. And I think the shining face of Moses is not meant to necessarily exalt Moses, but rather to exalt the words of Moses. So we see Moses is exalted as this this mediator who represents uh, the people before God and God before the people. But he is also a prophet. But ultimately, the last thing we see about Moses is that his glory was fading. It was coming to an end. 
The language of this text suggests that this was not a one-time deal, but something that happened often. Verse 33 tells us that when Moses was finished speaking to them, he placed a, a veil, a covering over his face. Why did Moses cover his face? I'm so glad you asked. Moses covers his face not to protect the people, but because his glory was fading. Moses' shining face was ultimately coming to an end. Moses was a temporary solution to an eternal problem. Moses' office as mediator and prophet would come to an end because Moses would one day die. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses is speaking to the people. He's giving them instruction and he tells them in verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Moses knows and understands that he is not the point of the story. Moses is a temporary uh, figure that is meant to point to something that will never fade away. Moses knows that he is not able to do what is all, of, all that is required of him. He knows that there will be one who comes after him who is greater than him. The people need a mediator whose glory will never fade. They need a, a mediator whose work, whose, whose work would one day be completed. They needed a prophet whose words could actually transform them. Um, on my desk at, at work is a, a picture of my, my family. And occasionally I will look at the picture and I will think in my head for a moment that I would love to be spending time with them. Uh, but you would look at me foolish if you said, if I told you that I longed for the picture more than I longed for the flesh and blood, my flesh and blood family. You would think me crazy if I delighted in this picture more than I delighted in their presence. You see, Moses' glory is meant to be a, a picture of the unfading glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Moses is a, a fragment. He is a, a preview of a, a full movie of where Jesus Christ is the star. So let's take some time to look at the unfading glory of Jesus. If you were listening in our New Testament reading, the first reading was from Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 17, we see something spectacular. Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, James, John, and Peter. He takes them up a mountain. And while they are on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured. He is transformed and his disciples see him in stunning glory. The text says his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Jesus in this moment for a temporary time in front of his disciples becomes unparalleled in his glory and beauty. And while he's taking, while all of this is taking place, two people appear. One is Moses and the other being Elijah. Why do they appear on the mountain with him? Moses is, is here representing uh, and Elijah, Moses and Elijah together are representing the two greatest prophets that we see in the Old Testament. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. And the cloud descends upon this mountain. Sound familiar? And the voice of God calls out and he says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
the original readers would have known and would have recalled the story of Moses in Exodus 34. They would have known that this, in this very moment, God is exalting Jesus as the final prophet that Moses was telling them about. In Hebrews chapter 1, we hear some beautiful language that encapsulates this truth. Hebrews 1 says, long ago, at many times, in, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the prophet that Moses was pointing to. Moses' words did not have the ability and could not bring lasting change, but Jesus Christ is the, the prophet whose words have the ability to bring about the transformation that you and I desperately need to take place. But the good news doesn't stop there. Jesus is not just the final prophet, but Jesus comes down the mountain and he will is and will become the final mediator. After, Mo, after Jesus comes down uh, the mountain, he doesn't come down with tablets of stone in his hands. Jesus comes down the mountain and he starts to make his journey towards another mountain. On this mountain, Jesus will take a, upon himself the wrath of God in order to secure the salvation of his people. He will be trialed, tried under a crooked Roman government, but he will suffer silently. He'll be crucified and crushed on the tree on our behalf and will finish the work that Moses left undone. But again, this glorious news does not end here. This Jesus would do what no other prophet could do or would do. He would rise from the dead. There was once a little boy he was in the, the car with his father and they began driving past a cemetery uh, and, and going to their destination. They drove past various grave plots and the little boy noticed a large amount of dirt, large amount of dirt that, was next to dug, that was next to a freshly dug grave. The little boy yelled in utter amazement and wonder and says, look daddy, one got out. Brothers and sisters, Moses died, Samuel died, Nathan died, Isaiah died, Jeremiah died. What are we to say about Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, and Malachi? All of these phenomenal prophets in Israel's history would die never to rise again. But Jesus, our prophet, our glorious mediator, did not stay dead, but was raised from the dead. Moses' glory faded because he died, but Jesus' glory will never fade because he will never die again. Beloved, the resurrection is true and it changes everything. And that's the unfading glory of Jesus. But lastly, this has implications for us. Let's look at the increasing glory of the church. You see, this text not only says something about Moses and Jesus, but it also says something about us, the people of God. It says something of, of the increasing glory that is ours as we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in our second New Testament lesson, uh, takes this narrative in Exodus 34 and writes some beautiful words to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Now if the ministry of death 
carved in letters of stone came with such a glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end, what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what, what is have permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For, this, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Jesus Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is showing us in this text, uh, with the background of Exodus 34 in his head, the ministry of Moses and the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of Moses was temporary. It was fading. It brought judgment. It brought death. And it ultimately could not transform. Remember when we walked through the Ten Commandments and we heard over and over and over and over again that we could not meet the, the measurements of, of, of the law. Paul is saying here that the ministry of the Spirit itself brings life. It brings righteousness and the good news, it brings lasting change. What is the ministry of the Spirit? The ministry of the Spirit is to show each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus, it is meant to show us Jesus. Did you hear verse 18? And we all with unveiled face, beholding, staring at, glaring at the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Paul is saying that our glory is increasing as we behold the glorious face of Jesus. Unlike Moses who veiled his face, Jesus will be exalted for all to see. We are not, we as the people of God are not like Moses. We don't cover our faces. We look at more glory than, than Moses could ever see when we behold the face of Jesus. How do we change how does God bring lasting transformation? How do we become more like Christ? We do so by beholding Jesus. If you want to be more merciful and gracious, look upon Jesus who shouts from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you want to be more patient, look to, to Jesus who was patient and kind to his disciples who could never get it right. If you want to love your children well, look to Jesus who tenderly wraps children into his arms. If you want to grow in, in hospitality, look to Jesus who welcomed tax collectors and sinners into his life. If you want to love your spouse well, look to Jesus who died for his spouse. If you want to live a, a life of, of singleness to its fullest potential, look to Jesus who poured himself into others as a single man. 
If you want to grow in your ability to suffer, look to Jesus who was well acquainted with grief and suffering. If you want to be more generous, look to Jesus who for our sake became poor so that we might become rich. If you want to grow in your ability to love your neighbors well, look to Jesus who moved into our neighborhood and moved on to our block and who came to serve us. Beloved, we have many problems. We have many heartbreaks. Some of us are grieving loss of loved ones. Some of us are ridden with anxiety. Some of us are so tired. It's a miracle that we walked into church this morning. Some of us have no faith, but I will say this, all of us desperately need above everything is to look in the eyes of Jesus. I've had the privilege over the last few weeks or months now uh, to spend a lot of time with Quinn, and I find myself starting to pick up some of his mannerisms. Not sure how I feel about that yet, Uh, but I'm realizing that the more you spend time with someone, the more you begin to resemble them. The same is true in the Christian faith. The more you spend time beholding and marveling and glaring at Jesus, the more you will look like him. We become what we behold. The question comes, is how do we behold Jesus? How do we look to Jesus? What does that mean? We look to Jesus in his word and in his sacraments. We look to Jesus Lord's Day after Lord's Day, Sunday after Sunday, as we sit together under the preached word. We look to Christ as we study his word throughout the week, individually as families and even in smaller groups. But we also look to to Christ and the sacraments. We look to him in baptism and the Lord's Supper where he proclaims uh, that he has died for us and that he will indeed has been raised for us. And as we do this, as we behold these word and sacrament, as we trust these means that God has given us, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. I want to close in this way. This text gives us three strong encouragements. First, this text gives us a word of comfort. Uh, It gives us words of comfort in the fact that it presents to us the truth that the Spirit is at work in us. What is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is exalting Jesus and making us look like Jesus. This means that God in this moment right now for the believer is in fact at work in your life. God has not left you to yourself, but is actively, currently under the preaching of the word as we behold the sacraments is making you more glorious. You may not see as much fruit as you want to see. You may not be growing as quickly as you think you should be growing. You may be feeling your own weakness and sin, but please be comforted by the fact that the Lord is working on you. The Lord has promised by his might to bring you into conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, I am certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This text gives us a word of comfort. But second, this text challenges the way that we view the church. How do you view this local body? How do you view Grace Press? When you look at this church, do you first begin to see all of her weaknesses and limitations? 
you first list all the ways that she needs to grow? Do you notice all the ways that we fall short? Can I tell you what God sees? God sees a, a people whom he loves and who his son has shed his blood for and whom he is in the process of beautifying. Beloved, our mess is God's construction site. He is building something. He is collectively making each and every one of us behold the glory of Jesus and he is making us look like Jesus. When you look at your brother and sister in this church, you are looking at the triune God at work. This text challenges the way we view the church, but lastly, this text sets the agenda for us as a church. What is central to the ministry of us as a church? It's the ministry of word and sacraments. As we, as a church, we wholly lean on both of those two things because it is those two things that Christ has promised to use them. As a church, we are committed to trusting the appointed means that God has given to us in Scripture. Beloved, God has promised to bless these things of the, the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the baptism of the Lord's Supper to change us. They're not flashy. They're not things that will draw crowds. But they are infused with the power of the Spirit of God who has the intention to make us the children of God and to the Son of God. Beloved, take heart that as we do this Sunday after Sunday, that God is at work. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we rest in the fact that you are indeed right now in this moment changing us. That it's so tempting for us to look at various means to identify are we changing but today in this moment right now we look to you the one who alone can change us i pray that you would give us the grace to tr uh, trust in these appointed means in which you have given us uh, to be changed thank you for jesus allow us to be transfixed on him it's in christ's name we pray amen